Living Corporate is brought to you by The Access Point. The reality is, this is the largest influx of black and brown talent corporate America has ever had. And as a result, a variety of talent entering the workforce are first-generation professionals. The other reality? Most of these folks aren't learning what it means to navigate a majority white workplace in their college classes. Enter The Access Point a live weekly web show within the Living Corporate Network that gives black and brown college students the real talk they need and likely haven't heard elsewhere. Every week, our hosts and special guests are dropping gems, so don't miss out. Check out The Access Point, airing every Tuesday at 7 p.m. Central Standard on livingcorporate.tv. Hey everybody, this is See It To Be It from Living Corporate. Living Corporate is a digital media network that centers and amplifies black and brown people at work. My name is Amy C. Wanninger and I'm the host of See It To Be It. When I was growing up in rural Southern Indiana, I didn't know people who went to college or who worked in professional roles. I didn't know what those jobs looked like or even how to break into them. But this show isn't about me, it's about the guests. I bring you career stories from everyday role models in jobs you may not know exist. More importantly, the folks I interview share their perspectives as black and brown professionals in jobs and environments where they may be the only. My guest today is Michelle Jaramillo, who has an incredible career journey and has landed in the cloud services space. But before we get into the interview, we're going to tap in with Tristan for some career advice. What's going on, Living Corporate? It's Tristan of Layfield Resume Consulting, and I'm back to bring you another career tip. This week, I want to talk about how you're waiting too late to start your job search. Take a moment to think about when you start looking for a job. There are typically four scenarios. Number one, when you get fired. Number two, when you get laid off. Number three, when you're fed up with your job. And number four, when you're bored or ready to move to the next level. The first two are the worst. You're immediately pushed into job searching if you're fired or laid off. You become desperate to find a job because you need to be able to pay the bills and take care of yourself, and that unemployment just isn't going to cut it. But desperation is never a good thing in a job search, and we'll talk about why in a minute. The second two, being fed up with your job and being bored or ready to move to the next level, while not great, are better positions to be in because you're still employed. Many hiring managers and recruiters tend to favor what they call passive job seekers, aka people they know that are currently employed. There's an underlying assumption that if someone is working right now, that they are creating value for their employer and that they have up-to-date skills. So while your situation may not be the greatest, you get the benefit of the doubt from recruiters and hiring managers. But what happens when that benefit of the doubt goes away? You may think your job is secure, but odds are it's not. You may think your company is gonna bring you back from furlough, but the reality is most of these companies can't afford to hire back all of their employees. So what happens then? You fall into the same act of desperation as those that were fired or laid off. Recruiters, hiring managers, and the people you call yourself networking with can all feel the desperation. This makes you less likely to be able to build your network, gain referrals, and get hired. That's why the best time to search for a job is when you already have one, or simply when you don't need one. 
Things aren't happening in a rushed time frame then, which means that that desperation is non-existent. During this time, you'll actually be able to start building valuable relationships, putting feelers out for what type of roles are out there, and make advocates out of the people who want to help, which I call career boosters. If you play your cards right, you may even become the bachelor or bachelorette of your job search with multiple companies vying for your attention. But much of that goes out the window if you wait too long to start your job search. So, for those of you saying that you're going to wait for the coronavirus pandemic to blow over, I'd strongly recommend you reconsider that strategy. First, you don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. Second, if you decide to wait, you won't be any more prepared than you are now, plus you'll have quite a bit more competition, many of which will have taken this time to get prepared. So, if you're ready to get all of your ducks in a row, land three times more interviews, and have options, I want to invite you to book a suitability call for my Career Level Up program. Together, we'll identify your value or what makes you different from everyone else doing this work. We'll then package that up together in a results-driven resume and optimized LinkedIn profile. And most importantly, we'll put a proven networking plan in place to not only build, but engage and leverage your network to get you three times more interviews. So, if you're interested in this program, make sure to book a suitability call utilizing the link in the show notes. This tip was brought to you by Tristan of Layfield Resume Consulting. Check us out on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Layfield Resume, or connect with me, Tristan Layfield, on LinkedIn. Living Corporate is brought to you by The Leadership Range, a podcast within the Living Corporate Network. Hosted by globally certified and Fortune 500 executive coach and leadership development expert Neil Edwards, The Leadership Range is focused on having real, raw, soulful, and accountable conversations about inclusive leadership, allyship, professional development. Every week is a new episode with new learning and new actions to take on to grow inclusively. Make sure you check out the leadership range everywhere you listen to podcasts. Welcome back to See It To Be It. My guest today is Michelle Jaramillo. She worked in blue collar retail service jobs until her late 20s, got her degree in her early 30s, only to have made wonderful career jumps throughout Spanning from being a business analyst to segment marketing to deal manager, she has been able to rise regardless and face her past traumas while still being true to herself. I am so excited for this conversation. Please welcome to the show, Michelle. Hi, Michelle. Hi, Amy. So glad to join you today. Thank really you excited so much. about our conversation. Yeah, thank you for answering the call. So sometimes when people come on the show, it's because I know them and I've asked them, you know, kind of called in a favor or just said, hey, please come be on my show. Um, but you actually answered a call that I post on LinkedIn, correct? Correct, I did. And I think it's really important that as we kind of go through a lot of these issues related to race or gender, sexuality, you know, um, we really can't just leave our whole person at home. We, we bring it to work regardless if we want to or not, right? And so I think it's important to have open conversations that are honest and transparent um, about the corporate world and also about who you are personally. Personally, So, you know, I said, why not? You know, I, I'm, I'm open. I'm usually open with most of the people that I work with and, and people that know me. Well, I'm really glad to have you here. And I was wondering if we could just start and just kind of ask you about, you know, your intersectionality. 
Yeah, absolutely. So um, if you take a look at who I am physically, you might guess that I might be Vietnamese or Thai or some sort of Asian. And some people don't even pick up on the Asian. They just look at my last name and just assume that I'm Latina. But really, if you you know take a second to, to know who I am, my mom is Korean, so I'm half Asian. Um, my dad is New Mexican Spanish um, and Native American. He grew up in Southern Colorado. Uh, we've been natives to Colorado for a couple generations before it was a state. And then I also identify as a cis woman and lesbian. So kind of putting that on the package, you don't really know that until you talk to me and um, understand pieces of my personal life. And sometimes that doesn't come out in the corporate setting, right? Um, I think that once you become guarded and understand things that could affect your influence, uh, I believe sometimes we hold those things back. Yeah. And I think there's another intersectionality there too, which is having worked in the service industry, you know, there's some, some class issues there. Could you there's talk some, yeah. a little bit about that? Yeah, as well? absolutely. You know, so I spent a lot of my early years just trying to figure out who I was. My parents didn't graduate with a high school degree. So I didn't really know what I was doing in terms of figuring out college or what to do with myself or what my strengths were. So I had to really learn things on my own. It was a very long process. Um, I worked a blue colleague job, meaning I was a line cook at one point. I worked for Starbucks in the Safeway, um, which is a grocery store chain for a long time. Finally got my you know, bachelor's degree at about 29 or 30, and then just had to figure it out. And there's a lot of stigma behind the relevancy of your experience being, you know, blue collar versus, you know, coming into a white collar world. Yes, there was a lot of things I had to learn, like managing up and managing across stakeholders. But I think, you know, having that experience as a blue collar worker and working with customers and understanding the world really helped me get a perspective um, into how to deal with people in, in the white collar world. And that also allowed me to be adaptable across different industries. I've worked in telecom, um, natural gas. Uh, I've worked in renewable energy, and then most recently now uh, a major cloud provider. Uh, and not only that, but different positions. I was a business analyst when I first started as an intern, did some requirements, technical requirements writing, uh, switched to finance, um, started doing deal desk stuff, um, and then moved into marketing for a second, and then came back to um, deal desk because that's what I found that I love. Took me about 10 years to figure that out, but, um, you know, gain a lot of skills over time. Yeah. And it's, it's hard to know when you start out, right? What, what dots you're going to jump to and how they're going to connect. But then when you look back, it's a lot easier to see, oh, everything that I did prepared me for this moment. And yeah. all of those moments plus this one will prepare me for what's next. And that's kind of like, in general, a parallel paradigm of living your life, right? We, we don't always have the lessons up front, but as we walk through, we get the experience, we can apply that and become, you know, more wiser, more compassionate, smarter about how we live our life and, and understand holistically what that perspective brings, not only from a corporate perspective, but also in your own personal life. And I think that's a very good way to, to live life, to understand different perspectives. And in fact, all of my experience across different industries and different positions allow me to see that perspective. So when I go do a deal or when I am explaining a, a complex idea, I have to understand who my audience is. Yeah. So I want to go back to college. Um, since you mm -hmm. are went back as a non-traditional student, what made you yeah. decide to go back and how did you decide what you were going to major in? Whew, man, that was a tough one. So I ended up starting out at a community college 
trying to get into music education. So I actually played violin for a long time, was going to be a music teacher and then realized that idealistically that wasn't necessarily going to pay the bills. It was something that I love to do, but it, it may be some time later. And I gained this perspective as I tried to go and, you know, get private lessons and started taking classes. And then I realized, okay, maybe I should do something that's a little bit more my interest. So I started taking classes in computer information systems, started taking that at the University of Colorado, Colorado Springs, which is in my hometown, and um, realized why not throw finance in there? So I just did both. It was hard though, transitioning between both. But again, like I said, having perspective on talking two different languages and being that person to bring it together is probably the best thing you can do for your career because those people don't exist across a lot of industries. If you're able to talk in finance and technical in a way that's very um, effective to the people that you're talking to, that brings a lot of value. That's amazing. And so then how did you find your first job out of college? Because a lot of a lot of folks going to college are well-connected going in or their families are well-connected going in. That wasn't the case for me, right? It wasn't the case <laughs> for you. Um, so how did you get that first job? Yeah, so that's a great question because to be honest, I wasn't sure how to do that. So what I did was literally like the brute force approach. I, I've, I've told many friends and many people that I know that, you know, are like really maybe they're, they're out of work today. And I tell them, you know, I've had probably several thousand no's in my life. And at the beginning of my career, that really took a toll on my self-confidence and who I am and my skills that made me kind of question myself. But what I realized is that sometimes it's not the time or the place. It's just really about the timing and opportunity of, of your skill set. So what I did was I just anywhere I could apply for an intern, I would apply and I would just, you know, work with people to look at my resume. And luckily for me, I've had amazing mentors that have just given me some great, you know, opportunities to, to ask questions, to really leverage their experience, to know what people are looking for. So for me, it's really been about networking and interning and just getting any, any opportunity to showcase my, my skills and then also document that, right? Because it's not only about showcasing your skills, but documenting those successes as you work into uh, another position, right? And then also understanding that there's parallels between positions. Just because you don't have a certain skill set doesn't mean you can't learn it, really. And currently in my employer, we don't necessarily always bias on the fact that you have that experience. What we bias on is like, what is your methodology? What is your process in getting to those answers? Because most people are smart enough to just learn something new. But we want to know how, how you do that with integrity, if you have a bias for action, if you are able to um, have customer obsession or invent and simplify, right? So those are some of the leadership principles that we have at our, in our company today. But those are the main ideas that drive, I think, successful people if you really look at it outside of all the skill sets, outside of all the stuff on paper, right? Who are you and how well are you able to adapt and really have integrity in your work? Yeah. I love your phrase, brute force, <laughs> to get in to the industry. I remember. <laughs> yeah, there's been, um, so like I would say if I looked at my Gmail account, there's at least 7,000 emails of no's. And I would say about 20 of those were yeses throughout my career in the last 10 years. I mean, and that's a lot of no's, right? To, to internalize. But you have to understand it's not personal, right? It's not you. It's the fact that they're just trying to find the right fit 
And when you find the right fit and the right, the right people, because really you should be finding someone that you click with from a managerial perspective um, and a company that has your values, those are, those are the most important things for sure. Yeah. And that's hard to remember when you're starting out and you get no mm-hmm. after no. And what you have to remember is for every <laughs> yes you get, you know, probably 150 people got to no, know, right? And you can only say yes exactly. to one yes. Right. You can't take all yes. the jobs. So you only need one. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. <laughs> That's very true. Can't say yes to everything. And if you're, if you're lucky to say yes to lots of things, that's, I mean, good on you. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. That's fantastic. I remember in college, I remember coding for myself a mail merge program so I could send cover letters uh, like at scale, right? Because I was computer science. Mm-hmm. Yep. Was like every company that exists that has IT is going to get a cover letter and a resume from me. Like that's just how it's yep, going to be. Exactly. And I remember doing that. <clears throat> and because um, I just, I didn't know, right? I didn't have the network to get in. Um, so, you know, as you've, I mean, you've moved around a little bit since you got out of college, right? To land in the spot that you're in now. What were the things that precipitated those moves for you? How did you know it was time to go? I think there's, well, for me and, um, you know, my, my significant other has worked in one company for 20 years. I don't know what, what that feels like. Um, and the reason why I do that is because I know that there's something better out there and I'm always striving to be better. Not only, you know, ensuring that I'm growing as a person, I'm growing my business acumen, but in terms of a fit, I mean, you should be growing as a person as you grow in your career, right? let let your career push who you are because it will come into you personally as well as growth, you know, and you always should be prepared just in case for any type of layoff or, or anything that might happen where um, that'll affect your, your career. And I think it's always good to be prepared to, to be interviewing all the time because you don't know what's out there and maybe something better is is going to be right there for you. Um, I also think that once you, start looking around and understanding the opportunities, you can also create opportunities for yourself. In other words, um, just because maybe an internship didn't take you on doesn't mean that you can take on a project, uh, you know, not for free, but, you know, most of the time I would do things for free or for volunteer, uh, for rescue, animal rescue groups or other organizations to showcase my skills, right? So there's other ways to kind of open opportunities for yourself when you don't have a ton of experience. I feel like you and I uh, could sit down and have like a five-hour conversation about career strategy <laughs> because what you're saying is so is so on point. When I was a manager um, in a corporate setting, I used to ask people, "When was the last time you update you updated your resume?" And I got feedback; it was freaking people out because they thought I was telling them their job was going away. And I, what I thought I was saying was <laughs> you've added a whole bunch of skills this year, right? You've accomplished a lot. Right. Are you going to be prepared when opportunity, you know, shows up? Right. But I had to right. change my wording. Cause I'm not real good at like thinking about how things sound sometimes. <laughs> and uh, so I had to kind of change my approach to that. But my thing was, if you're not updating your resume every six months to a year, like your dream job is going to be sitting right there. And while you're busy, like getting your shit together, somebody else is going to already have jumped on it. So, yep. you know, I Agreed. think what you're saying mm-hmm. is absolutely true that, you know, you just kind of always be poised to pounce, right? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, and to, to be honest, people can be, uh, they can settle and, and that's totally fine, right? There's, there's no issue in you staying with a company and seeing it through for five, 10, 20 years. Um, 
You know, I think a lot of people like to get comfortable. They know their leaders, they know their peers, totally get that. I'm just, I'm just one of those people that are continually looking to better myself and to better my position. Um, so ultimately, I mean, for me, it's to, you know, start my own business, to uh, be my own CEO, to better myself. Right. And so when you get to that spot, I think that that's um, kind of like a, an epiphany for yourself, right? That you don't have to work for somebody, that you can work on your own and create your own niche in your own business and be successful at it and have that happiness and independence that you want. But that's, how, that's something that you want to have, right? That's something that you have to want to do. Um, and that's not always the case, right? Like sometimes we get very distracted with life, things that are going on in the pandemic, your family, and we kind of forget to give that part to ourselves, even though that's what we do 40 plus hours a week, right? It's, it's really important. We all kind of push it aside. We all are okay with the status quo. We're okay with the constructs that are in place today. You know, I think for our youth and, and people now, we should rethink that. You know, we're able to work remote. Where do you want to be? Where is it that's going to light you up and make you happy? Like for me, I live in Colorado Springs, Colorado. I've lived here pretty much all my life. And the fact that I can see Pikes Peak out of my window, which is a 14,000 foot mountain with snow on it, makes me very happy. It means that I can have work-life balance. Yeah. Oh my gosh. So I live in Indiana where there are no mountains and there is nothing pretty to look at. <laughs> and I'm a little, I'm just, just a little jealous of, of that whole Pikes Peak view out your window. So whenever uh, travel resumes, <laughs> don't be surprised if I call you and say, Michelle, remember me, I'm Amy, I'm your new best friend. And I just want to come visit and look at the mountains. <laughs> and I'm sure that won't be awkward at all. wrong with that. <laughs> no, no, you can, you, if you want to come by and you want to have a cup of coffee uh, outside, look at the mountain views, I, I'd be happy to take you on a hike or take you on a tour and we can share five hours of how uh, uh, we got to where we're at today. Oh, that's <laughs> fantastic. I'm sure it's very, very valuable information. So I want to go back. I want to go back to, you know, you said that you've been lucky in finding mentors and a lot of the people that I talk to, especially early in their careers, get a, get a lot of anxiety build up around this word mentor right because they think oh i don't want to i don't want to impose upon someone i don't want to ask somebody for help they don't know me what was your strategy for finding and engaging mentors especially early in your career well i think that what i would say my superpower is um is learn and be curious so that's um an ideal or leadership principle we have and in the company that I work for. And it's always been part of who I am. And so when people recognize that you're willing and asking questions to be better than where you're at, then they're willing to put the energy in, right? So when you go and ask questions that naturally you're like, hey, like this, this piece of language doesn't make sense or I priced it this way, but I noticed that on your work that you did it this way, can you tell me a little bit more? They know that you're invested. Once they know that you're invested, they're gonna put the time into you, right? They're not. You can't just show up and say, like, help me do this. You have to do the work to show them that you're dedicated because they're taking their precious time to dedicate to you, right? And so I believe it's really about engaging anybody and anybody that's like able to listen, that's willing to listen, you know, and also answer your questions. Um, I've been so lucky to like in, in this, in the company I work for now, I've only been there, been here for about 10 months, but people have been really great about, you know, answering my questions because for me if I know what good looks like I'm able to emulate that tweak that and make it better for myself right because we all have to find our methodologies in being successful and so for me if you show me what good looks like I can do that 
right? And people will take the time to do that if you're, if you're willing to do the work behind it. Yeah. And how do you pay that forward or how has it changed for you now uh, that you're a little further into your career? Well, it, and the thing is, is as I've gotten through my career and, and been so, well, let me tell you, I'm super grateful and appreciative for all the opportunities that I've had. And um, there's only been a handful of times where I've turned it down, um, turned jobs down, but for reasons that I can't explain to you sometimes, it's just gut feeling or um, the universe telling me something. But um, if anyone ever needs help, I'm willing to help them. Um, the only problem is that sometimes I just don't have the time. So it's easier to get my help if you're telling me exactly what you want, what you need, and then I can help you move forward. I've helped quite a few people over my career. Um, there's this uh, one one lady that uh, was working as an airline um, flight attendant. She was, so she was making about 15000 a year. And we were talking one night at one of my friend's house and we're on the back porch, you know, drinking some beers. And she's like, God, you know, I really wish I could find something I really like. And, and I was like, you're a salesperson. You are really good at sales. I said, not only that, your, your presence and your energy really resonate. I said, let me look at your resume. What do you want to do? She told me what she wanted, wanted to do. It took her about a year. She ended up going to be um, a, a beverage rep for about $65,000 a year. And so ever since then, she's been like, you've been so helpful to me. And so she rec- she tells all of her friends, if you ever need a resume review, just go talk to Michelle. And so I, I really try to be available to give people my time and energy if they're willing to put that time in, you know, to, to do the work, right? Because I tell them, you're going to fail. You're going to get no's. You're going to have a ton of no's. And that's okay, right? Like you'll get to, you'll get to the right yes when it's right for you. Yeah, absolutely. Now I want to switch gears just a little bit because – when we started off, we were talking about, you know, you're a Latina Native American Korean woman, a member of the LGBTQ community. What is that like in the workplace in general? Does that feel, does it feel isolating? Does it feel? Um, it feels, I think this is like, like you said, the pre-talk, right? has all the good information. And, and the reason why I feel like it's, Sorry, it's so, listeners. <laughs> you know, yeah, this, this, uh, this piece is interesting because as I see people with their kids that are mixed, like myself, being of different races, ethnicities, and cultures, and I, I want to separate those, right? Because my mom's culture of Korean was very different than if I grew up in Korea right? Because it's been somewhat Americanized. My dad's view of Native American and Spanish was different. He grew up, um, he was born near the, the Great Depression era. So he had a very different view of what that would look like today. And so when you bring yourself to work and you're, you're not really one or the other, right? Fully, you know, either African-American or uh, Korean-American or, or fully Latina or Latino, it's hard for people to first off, understand like where you are, who you are, because you're mixed. So they're not quite sure like what your culture is and they can't make a good assumption, right? And they don't want to because they don't want to offend you. Um, and I think that sometimes that's a barrier to, to understanding personally who that person is. Um, and it kind of leaves you right kind of in between everything. Like I, I, don't, I can't really identify as like full Korean, even though my mom made us kimchi and bulgogi and and Korean barbecue, um, you know, but I don't speak Korean and I, I don't have a lot of the traditional Korean background. So I'm very much Americanized. So I, sometimes I, d- I can't identify with that culture. 
Um, but on top of that, you know, putting ourselves when you first, like we talked earlier, when you first apply for a job and you have to check the boxes in this EEOC, you know, employment, um, I don't really call it diversity, you know, segmentation, but it's so confusing because me being Hispanic means being white, but it, but when you look at race and ethnicity, I can't check off Asian, right? It just like the way that they build it doesn't allow you to identify across the board in terms of what you actually represent. Now, culturally, I don't really represent those because I didn't live that culture. But from, you know, ethnicity point of view, yes, I, you know, that's what I identify. You look at me and that's, that's what makes sense. But this also puts into, you know, children and people who are mixed like myself into a different category. Like, do I not matter? Does, Am I being misclassified? I don't understand why we don't, you know, like I think one of my friend's kids on Facebook um, was really troubled because he's, he's African-American and white and he, and they made him pick one or the other. So it wasn't, he wasn't able to really truly understand that this is just a form and I'm not sure what they do with it, but it doesn't reflect who you are. And so his mom had to explain that to him and we shouldn't have to have those conversations because then that creates a construct in their head that that's how it's supposed to be when we're really trying to work to undo that. Yeah, it's unfortunate that there's not a both and option, um, that everything seems to be mm -hmm. either or, um, because yeah, especially, very binary. especially when folks have, have multiple marginalized identities, right? They don't want to be undercounted, right? It's important that we count everybody and that we make sure that, you know, if, right. if certain populations are not advancing or certain populations are not being given interviews or, you know, not being paid enough. Like we need to know that. Right. But how do you, how do you do that? If you can't, if you can't represent all of who you are on these ridiculous, you know, radio button forms. Right. Right. Yeah. And, and it's really that it just, it creates this, you know, construct that we must choose to be one or the other. There's no, it's okay to be a, all across the board, right? And then when I'm filling out forms, like, you know, obviously when I'm applying for jobs or when I'm, you're, I feel like as I'm checking all these off, like, am I, am I just really weird? Because like, I have to check all these things off, right? Rather than this is just who I am. And, you know, if, if you wanted to know that great, wonderful, you know, use it for um, data that you can look at in terms of salary and tenure and experience. And like you said, identify blind spots um, that we can't see around the corner. I think that's important, but at the same time, we've got to do it in a, in a better way that um, is more inclusive. And I know that this is still a very early conversation in terms of Black Lives Matter, you know, the Asian violence and everything that's going on in the United States today. It's kind of a wake up call for us to really rethink about how we want to be more inclusive, not only just because it's the right thing to do, but from a humanity perspective, I mean, that's, we don't want to recycle trauma, uh, to be honest, like racial trauma, microaggressions that we don't think about, right? Like um, right now, my company is rewording things like blacklisted or whitelisted to different semantics, right? Instead of saying the middleman, we call ourselves intermediaries, right? We're using words that are more inclusive because we understand that these are already baked into the way that we live and that creates microaggressions whether we want to think of it or not yeah the language is important um and even you know because it's an indicator of 
who's at the table, who's making the rules, who's, who's setting the tone, right? So it's not about being politically correct. It's about reflecting all of the needs of all of the people that we value and who are important to us. Right. Exactly. It's, it's to reflect on who, who our humanity is really, to be honest. I think right now, a lot of, a lot of difficult discussions. Um, I think that race in general is, is a very sensitive topic. It's a, it's a big one that we have to look at holistically, but in the end, what it comes down to is that when we recycle ancestral or racial trauma into persons, they, they can't hold that back when they go to work, right? Like, you know, I've experienced a lot of different microaggressions from different segments of my myself. And that turns into a million paper cuts, right? Death by a million paper cuts because the pain is still there and it goes so deep that I can't separate that out when I go to work. There's things that trigger me sometimes that I have to step back and say, okay, how do I manage my anxiety with this one trigger, right? I can't just leave that when I, when I turn on the computer, right? I have to address that. So that means that if we're as we as a society understand that and can move forward in helping each other, then I think that these conversations become easier. You know, I'm not saying that trauma is what drives people to pick up a gun to shoot people. What I'm saying is that it can be part of that cycle. How do we stop those things? How do we become more responsible, inclusive, compassionate people to allow everybody to be their best selves because we all can't do it by ourselves, period, right? No company does it on one person. We all have to help each other be better. That's how we become better Americans. That's how we become better people. That's how we become our best selves to bring the best and brightest, most innovative things to the world, right? So we can't do it just alone. We need each other. Absolutely. We need we need everybody's perspectives and we need everybody's contributions. Yes. And you know, the truth good is, or bad, right? Yeah. The truth is people can't contribute if they don't feel safe. They can't contribute if they're not given an opportunity to exactly. do so. And if if we're putting up, you know, these really weird guardrails around who gets in or, you know, really, you know, arbitrary rules around, you know, how people can contribute because of who they are, right? You can only contribute, you know, in this way. Um you know, as a woman who presents as Asian, for example, right, which I know is a huge problem. Right. Um, you know, if you're not, you know, if you're not submissive enough, or you're not quiet enough, or you rock the boat too much now, now it's a problem. Um, because it wasn't what somebody expected, maybe, or maybe, you know, there are all these different ways, right, we're expected to show up, and we're punished if we right. don't, if we don't conform to those expectations. Um, but it really, right. it holds back, not, not just us as people. Um, but it holds us back in terms of human progress, in terms right. of profit mm-hmm. and innovation in our companies, um, you right. know, in terms of sustainability for our world. I mean, these are all things that yeah. matter. We need everybody for that, right? And not only that, I think these are very solvable problems. I think that the constructs that we have in place right now don't allow us to do that because there's money involved, right? There's influence and power that may be lost at that expense. But I think that we are all very capable in, in solving those issues um, in a way that isn't going to really, you know, change us up so, so badly, right? Because I know that change happens. <laughs> I always tell people there's two things in life that's guaranteed. You're going to die and change always happens, right? Regardless of, 
of what you think, right? When you look in the mirror every day, you're getting older. When you, um, you know, one moment to the next, you, you don't have the same thoughts, right? You're not the same physical person. And so those are the two things we, we have to recognize that is going to happen. And so change is going to happen regardless if we want it or not. So let's just embrace it, try to find ways that we can cope with it and help each other move forward. That just makes more sense. But I, I get it. There's, there's contracts in place that are being threatened, you know, like oil and gas. And I get that. So let's find a way to transition those people who might lose their jobs into something that makes sense instead of holding on to an old establishment that may not serve us anymore. Yeah. Um, Ride right the wave instead of being crushed important. by it. Exactly. exactly. Or too late to be crushed by it, right? Um, I also think that we should allow everyone to have their perspectives. I mean, not just marginalized people, but, you know, I don't know how to approach somebody if they don't know any better, right? If, if I have a white colleague that doesn't really know about me being Korean, ask questions. I'm okay with that. I know not a lot of people are okay with that. They don't feel like they have the obligation to teach. But as a human, if you're going to ask me a question, I want to give you that information from my perspective. It's up to you to go get everyone else's perspective to understand what we're all feeling. Because we all, we all process the stuff differently. We have different perspectives. We, we bring something to the table, but it's up to the person to learn. But I, I'm also open to taking in questions and just telling you my perspective because it's only one perspective. Yeah, I often tell people to use the Google test, right? If it's a, if it's a factual question, <laughs> right. like, is that something I could Google? I should probably go Google it. Is it something about how you feel or think? That's probably something I should ask you, right? Yeah, that's a great way to put it. I love that. Yes, because Google's very helpful <laughs> in weeding out those questions. <laughs> but yeah, I think it's, it's important to understand that when you say, um, I feel this, it's validating, right? Because, um, you know, I had a, I was working with a, a sales rep uh, earlier on a deal and she's like, well, I feel like, and she's like, I probably shouldn't say that. I said, no, your feelings are validated. You feel anxious because this deal isn't working the way that we expected it. And that's okay to feel anxious. However, let me help you get this back on track. And that way you'll feel better about the situation, right? Because she felt like she couldn't say that out loud. I'm like, no, no. We're okay to say, I'm frustrated. I'm not happy with the situation. This is why, right? So let's understand the problem instead of just saying like, oh, this sucks. Well, that's not helpful. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, right. let's, let's be a little bit more, you know, intentional about how we use our words. We're all very smart adults, I would hope, to um, help each other understand things. And I think once we have better effective communication in place as well, um, that's going to help the problem as well. Just we as humans aren't very good at communication in general. It's an art that's continually changing and continually evolving. So, you know, I get it. It's, it's a tough place to be. It is. And I think just a little bit of, a little bit of grace and a little bit of openness can make all the difference in the world. Michelle, I, I want to thank you for your grace and for your openness in this conversation. Um, I yeah, really, absolutely. I'm really glad to meet you. I'm really excited to have invited myself over to your house uh, for coffee and mountains. So that's, Heck that's yeah. something for Anytime, us. Anytime, man. Anytime. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> and thank you so much for being on the show. Yeah, absolutely. If you ever, if you have any other topics you want to talk about or dive deep, um, you know, I'm, I'm willing to, to talk through some perspective. And, you know, again, it's just my perspective, right? One person, but I really try to, um, 
practice empathy and compassion in a very balanced and uh, balanced way. But um, as a professional has made me, um, I would say like, uh, your legacy isn't your job. Your legacy isn't the money that you make or your title. Your legacy is when people say, and you know, I'm lucky to have this in my life. Michelle's a very kind person. Michelle's a very respectable, considerate and authentic person. That's my legacy, not, not the legacy of what money I make, what title I have, or who I know, right? I think that that's important as you work through your, through your professional career, because you don't want to throw people in the bus and have a, a, you know, slashing through, you know, leaving bodies on the floor. That's not the way to do it, because it always catches up with you. So that's just something to keep in mind as, as people work through their professional careers. Highly encourage it. I think we're going to leave it right there. I think that's fantastic advice. Thank you so much. No, thank you so much. Really great talking to you. Living Corporate is brought to you by The Break Room. Have you ever felt burnt out, depressed, or otherwise exhausted by being one of the onlys at work? You know what I'm talking about. Hosted by black psychologists, psychiatrists, and PhDs, The Break Room is a live weekly web show in the Living Corporate Network that discusses mental health, wellness, and healing for black folks at work. Name another weekly show explicitly focused on mental health, wellness, and healing for black folks at work. I'll wait. This is why you got to check out The Break Room, airing every Thursday at 7 p.m. Central Standard Time on livingcorporate.tv. Okay, I felt like I could talk to Michelle for hours, and in fact, I intend to do so. What I love about this interview is that Michelle has really taken this adaptable approach to her career where she's ready for anything and really honest about who she is and where she's come from and where she wants to go. And I think there's a lesson in that for so many of us who maybe hold back a little bit about our ambitions or about, you know, kind of how we got to the place where we are. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe to Living Corporate and share us with your friends and colleagues. You can also meet your favorite guests and join the conversation at c2bchat.com. That's the letter C, the number two, the letter B, chat.com. And you can really help us out by leaving us a six-star review wherever you get your podcasts. If this is your first episode of See It To Be It, you may be thinking, but there are only five stars. Well, give us all those. And then go the next step by leaving a couple of sentences in your own words, telling us what you liked about the episode, the guest, or the show. Don't forget to visit Living Corporate at living-corporate.com to learn more about our other podcasts, videos, web shows, and more. See It To Be It is brought to you in part by Lead At Any Level, a certified woman and LGBT-owned business dedicated to helping organizations build inclusive cultures and diverse leadership pipelines. Lead At Any Level. Leaders can be anywhere and should be everywhere. Learn more at leadatanylevel.com. That's it for this episode of See It To Be It. This is Amy C. Wanninger, and I'll see you next week. Living Corporate is a podcast by Living Corporate LLC. Our logo was designed by David Dawkins. Our theme music was produced by Ken Brown. Additional music production by Antoine Franklin for Musical Elevation. Post-production is handled by Jeremy Jackson. Got a topic suggestion? Email us at livingcorporatepodcast at gmail.com. You can find us online on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and living-corporate.com. Thanks for listening. Stay tuned.